One of the earliest accounts about Jesus of Nazareth. One of the earliest accounts about Jesus of Nazareth, his life, death, and resurrection, was written by a man named Luke. We know it as the Gospel of Luke, but Luke continued the story in a second volume called the Book of Acts, and it's all about what Jesus continued to do after his resurrection. Acts begins with the disciples who are hanging out with Jesus, who's just come back to life, which is mind-blowing to imagine. And then for weeks, the risen Jesus kept teaching them about his upside-down kingdom, the new creation that he launched through his death and resurrection. This is exciting stuff, and the disciples are ready to go tell the world. But then Jesus tells them to wait and to stay in Jerusalem until they receive a new kind of power so they can be faithful witnesses to Jesus and his kingdom. Then he says that their mission is going to begin in Jerusalem, then move out to Judea and Samaria, and then from there out into the nations. It's like a roadmap for the whole book of Acts. Then the disciples saw Jesus enthroned as king of all creation. So the disciples wait, wondering when this power is going to come. And then comes the time of Pentecost. So this is an ancient Israelite festival. It's during the early summer, and thousands and thousands of Jewish pilgrims would come back to Jerusalem from all over the world, all these different languages and cultures colliding in the city. And the disciples are together in a house, which is suddenly filled with rushing wind along with fire. Fire splinters off into tongues of fire hovering over people's heads. What's this all about? Yeah, so Luke is tapping into a repeated Old Testament theme. When God's presence showed up similarly at Mount Sinai, he made a covenant with Israel and gave them the Ten Commandments. Then later, when God's glory came in a pillar of fire, it filled the tabernacle when he came to live among them. That was just one pillar of fire, not many. Exactly. Luke's making an important point here. This is God's personal temple presence, God's spirit that was foretold by Israel's prophets. And now it's come to take up residence in the new temple of Jesus' body, that is, his people. They've become little mobile temples where God now dwells. And they start to tell stories about Jesus, but they're speaking in languages that they didn't know before, yet all the visitors can understand them. What's this all about? Well, Peter gets up to explain that this is the fulfillment of Israel's hopes based on the scriptures. God's plan was always to use the unified family of Abraham to bring peace and justice to the world. But the tribes of Israel had been scattered because of the exile. Now here at Pentecost, representatives from all of the tribes come back together and they're introduced to their Messiah, the crucified and risen Jesus, so they can now become the restored people of Israel. And thousands of them start following the way of Jesus. Which brings us to Luke's tale of two temples. So you've got the temple that Herod built in Jerusalem, where Jesus' disciples worship like the rest of the Israelites. But now there's also Jesus' temple, which consists of people. This temple's meeting together in homes all over Jerusalem, and they were approaching life in a radical new way. Right, think about it. Many of these pilgrims aren't even from Jerusalem, so they formed these new families, and they're all depending on each other. Yeah, people would sell their stuff, provide for the poor among them. They ate their meals together. They said their daily prayers together. They were learning from the apostles what it meant to live as if Jesus is the true king of the world. And it must have been exhilarating. Well, all right, we're going to jump into uh, Acts Chapter 2, we're going to look at the end of chapter 2. So um, how are you doing on those Bibles, bringing those Bibles along with you? I see several of you, yeah, have it open this morning, are getting it open, getting going on it. Good. If you don't have your Bible with you, uh, use, your, use your phone, use your Bible app, um, but put your eyeballs on it this morning. Acts chapter 2, we're going to be in verse 42 in just a few moments. If you're home, simple, just go grab your Bible 
and get it open to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in verse 42 in just a few moments. Now, the reminder, the great theme of the book of Acts is the coming of Christian power and its building of the Christian church. That's what we're going to see over and over in the book of Acts. Now, the great power, that great power is the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're talking about in the book of Acts, the coming of the Holy Spirit and the building of the Christian church. That is when the Holy Spirit is manifested, get this, in the life of believers. The believers, the disciples were reading about in the book of Acts, and because it's an open-ended book, you and I now today. That means the Holy Spirit wants to empower you and I, even today, for the continuance of the Christian faith, the building of the church, as it's referred to in the book of Acts. So let's take a look at this passage. Let's read our passage, a little bit shorter one this week, but impactful and very countercultural in many ways. Now, we'll see how you do at the end of the reading of the passage. See if you remember your part right at the end of this. See how it goes. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to their shared meals, and to their prayers. A sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many wonders and signs through the apostles. All the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They shared God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. The Lord added daily to the community those who were being saved. The word of God for the people of God. You're getting a little better. Second service blew you out of the water last week, 9 a.m. service. Let's just try it one more time to make sure you have it. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There you go. You got it. All right, next week we're going to knock it out of the park. Let's just jump right into this. One verse prior to this, what we didn't read, one verse prior, we find that it's the end of Peter's speech. Remember last week, the coming of the Holy Spirit. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit. They had these, these fire over their head or out of their tongues, as it's described in different translations. They went out and they started to share the gospel in all the languages of those people that were visiting Jerusalem. They all heard the gospel in their own language. Some of them people said, this is craziness. These people are drunk. Peter said, no, nah, they're not drunk, right? And then he goes on to give kind of a mini sermon starting in verse 16, and he shares from 16 on, he shares basically a history. He is trying to connect the Old Testament prophecy and really the law as well with the coming of the Messiah, with Christ. He overviews what happened to Christ in the death and resurrection. And so at the end of this sermon that Peter writes, we find in verse 41 here, it, it says, those who accepted Peter's message were baptized. They brought about 3,000 people into the community on that day. Like in one day, the church grew by 3,000 people because of what was going on. The way the Holy Spirit worked through the disciples. Listen, the people didn't just show up to Jerusalem, right, and go, all right, I'll become a Christian. They heard the gospel shared and explained. Do you understand why it seems like, and one person actually used the phrase to me, man, you're really harping on this uh, sharing Jesus thing. You know? But do you understand why 
why we're talking about this so significantly? Because people don't come to Christ usually unless somebody is willing to share. Somebody's willing to go and share Christ with someone else. The disciples did that, and we find 3,000. Many came to know Jesus. Listen, we don't have to have growth of 3,000. Growth of one, because you shared Christ with someone, will send heaven into an amazing celebration. So that's what just happened. What do you do with 3,000 new converts? What do you do with 3,000 new people? Like, we wouldn't even know, like, what to do seating-wise, right? You know, on a regular Sunday, what to do donut-wise, right? What do you do with 3,000 new believers? We find out right away in this writing here. Luke tells us right away what happened. Take a look at it. Verse 42, the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to their shared meals, and to their prayers. Right away, he's letting you know this is what new converts were devoted to. This is how they directed them. It would be like this morning, you know, if we had new converts rolling in, we'd say, okay, you're new to the faith. Here's what you do first. And you kind of line up. This is what we're going to be about. Every year on the baseball team that I help coach, at the beginning of the year, we say, listen, a team can be about many things. This is what we're going to be about. And we give them about three or four simple things that they can remember that we're going to be about, and we bring them up over and over in practice and those type of things, right? You have a similar story in your business, your hobby, whatever. This is what they were devoted to in the beginning. So it would make sense for us to get in and ask, what really were these things that they were devoting themselves to? So let's take a look at it. What were they devoted to? There's this, the word for devote is actually this Greek term. It, it's, it's called proskartereo is the word. And it means this. It means continued steadfastly. It's actually a glue term. You ever play with glue? Maybe your kids play with glue. You know, maybe you love woodworking and you're still, you know, using glue. Uh, but think about it is, and it's a word that's a glue word. It means to adhere to. And so when they're saying we devoted to, they're using a word that says we were adhered to these things. So we get this picture of being adhered or stuck to it. Now I understand we can buy some cheap glue that doesn't stick all the time. But when we're thinking in terms of adhering, adhering is not something that you stick to and then you can take apart. Like in and out, on and off. So this term that they're using, they're describing devoted, means really stuck to, continually doing all the time. This proscar tereo, glued to, stuck to. Like if you were to evaluate your own life and you were to ask, what, am I, what do I adhere myself to? Or what are the things that I'm in and out of, on and off? These were the things that they devoted themselves to. Not in and out, not on and off. Listen, in any other thing in our life, we would say if you pop in and out, on and off, we would not use the word devoted to describe it. Like sports teams or dance clubs or whatever else activity your kid was in, if you're in and out of practice, maybe you'll go, maybe you won't, maybe you'll pop into a performance, maybe you won a game, maybe not. We would never use the word devoted to describe that, right? So think about this term as continually, what they're doing daily. Listen, believers, when we think in terms popping in and out of church, here or there, on and off, 
or in our life, opening God's word on and off sometimes. Go out and love people. Sometimes I'll pop in and out of that loving thing. That wouldn't describe what they're talking about here, what they're hoping to get to. And I don't think it ever describes what Jesus is hoping to get to in our life with our devotion to him and devotion to what he teaches. So that's the overlining thing. For some of you, maybe that is the thing you have to stop and just take in and absorb and let that be the challenge of your heart because already you would say, man, I need to, I need to evaluate my devotion. Not to, to me, not to church, but to Christ and what Christ might be asking of you. So let's jump in and see what they were actually devoted to. There's four things that show up in this list. It says the teachings is first off. Now, when we talk about the teachings there, we're talking about what the apostles are teaching. These, these 12 that we were talking about over the last couple of weeks, what they are teaching. So they're in some leadership roles over them, and it's clear that they have some authority in their words. They were the ones that walked with Jesus and was closest to Jesus. And so they were devoted to their teachings. Now, clearly these are not their own teachings in the sense of they didn't go just make up brand new things. What are they teaching? They are really teaching doctrine. What is right about Jesus? That is what they're teaching. This is the early church, the early Christian doctrine that they are teaching to help people understand what's right. Why? Because you know, like I know, it only takes a little while beyond the event for other versions of the story to start being told. And if you want to get in there and purposely manipulate the story to tell your own, it doesn't take too long down the road where you're actually able to do it. Now, we're blessed with Google, right? So we can go back and say, wait, no, I just looked that up. That's not accurate. But how fast things can turn if the story is not told properly. And so they were devoted to the doctrine, the early Christian doctrine, what the apostles were teaching. Well, what were they teaching about? Well, they were using the Old Testament and they were using prophecy as their context. But here's what they were leading to and teaching. They were teaching about the Messiah, that Jesus was Messiah. They were teaching that he died and rose again. Why is that important? Because even 50 days later, not everyone was there to see it. Not everyone was there to see Jesus. And they're starting to share. Not all 3,000 were there. And on and on as they keep sharing it. They're sharing life in following him. We find that they, they say it's not just that there was an event that happened, but there is new life. There's something different in following Christ. The gift of the Holy Spirit is spoken of over and over. This transformational power that rests in the Spirit. And we're going to find that the message of this is for everyone starts to get shared. You may look back at that and go, eh, that doesn't really excite me. I, I know it's for everyone. But in Jesus' day, when this is being shared and the apostles are receiving it and everyone close to Jesus at this point for the most part is Jewish, this is huge that they're starting to see that this message is offered to anyone, even outside of their Jewish circles, that the Gentiles would be ushered into it. This is a big, big doctrine that they're teaching. So they're devoted to these. I wonder what it looks like when we say devoted to the teachings. Well, I can't imagine them being devoted if they're not in attendance to hear it. That's one thing. They would have been there to hear the apostles' teaching. And then what about living it out? 
I mean, I can be there to hear my dad say, take out the trash on it and never do it. Would I call myself devoted? Probably not. So the living out of what is being taught significant as well. What else are they devoted to? It says the community that they're devoted to. The word is fellowship. The word is actually a Greek word that you've probably heard or seen on a church sign before. It's called koinonia, right? Sound familiar to some of you? Probably picked it up here or there. And this word means mutuality. So when you think of community in terms of mutuality, this type of connectedness or to have in common, that is what they're looking at. Now, that's a big deal because this koinonia is a much deeper form of community. And as you saw in the video there, these are new groups that are coming together. This is open to so many people who have not been living next to each other. Some of them are for different nationalities, different socioeconomic levels. And now they're coming together to form community, to have everything in common. And you got to understand, they didn't start with all this stuff in common. It's not like they looked around, you know, like me and said, i got to find a bunch of people who golf, and we'll get together and we'll fellowship. They came together, and their commonality was their new faith in Christ. And so they had these things in common. It's even further, this koinonia, it's mutuality, but it's mutuality of activity or possession. And that puts it a little deeper. That means they did the same things together, and they actually shared the same things together. Now, I realize in our capitalistic U.S. thinking that when we say something even remotely close to the sharing of possessions, we get freaked out, right? We start to think, don't go down a governmental system route. Nobody's trying to create this in this day. It's not what it's about at all. It is they're so overjoyed with what Christ is doing in their life that there is this desire to reach out and to bless and help one another wherever there might be need. And so we get this form of community that happens, this koinonia, and they're committed to it. I want to tell you, I want to be blunt. I don't think in the contemporary church today we are much committed to koinonia. I think we're committed to friendliness. We're committed to having friends as it opens up. And I, and I spend some time, you know, like I like Dan and Dorothy over there. We'll spend some time. And, and because we like each other, we'll, let's get together. Let's be friends. Let's go have, let's go have dinner. Let's, and it develops because I like them. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But koinonia goes well past that. Koinonia looks and says, how can I bless where does a connection need to be made? Koinonia says somebody walks in the door brand new. I logically know they don't know anybody. I'm going to go bridge the gap and connect. Hey, I'm Tom. Hey, you want to join us for lunch? Koinonia shares life. It goes further. I think the contemporary church does a wonderful job of intentionally being friendly. Greeters at the door, people out in the parking lot. I mean, Contemporary church has taken it to a new level, the connection points. In fact, you can even read book after book after book, if you'd like, geared towards pastors about connecting point ministries. Koinonia is something much deeper, much deeper. It takes your time. It takes your sacrifice. Even takes your awkwardness sometimes because you're like, oh, what will they say if I offer myself to them? Could get rejected. They could say, no, I'm not interested in lunch. I go home feeling like a doofus, right? 
Koinonia goes beyond this, and it extends ourselves. That's what was happening. They were devoted to that. They were devoted to the shared meals there. Now, some of your translations say the breaking of bread. And so because we get the breaking of bread is used often to describe communion, we think they're devoted to communion. When they got together, they did communion. And they were. But in this instant, what he's talking about, this is less, less about uh, uh, communion. This isn't necessarily communion. This is actually the sharing of meals, eating together. In fact, even that, it's less about the meal, and it's more about the sharing, being together. Right? And you know when you invite somebody over and you're going to have a meal together, you're like, okay, I mean, we're going to spend some time together. You're not inviting somebody over for a quick 30-minute do you have like a sitting room at your house, like in the front that you keep real nice, but your living room is in the back or your family room's in the back? You know, certain people that come over and knock on your door, you invite them to sit in the sitting room. You're not ushering them into the house there to, you know, to go have a meal or something like that. But when you get them back in the family room or if you even get them in the kitchen sitting on your counter, that's something deeper, right? And that's what the sharing of the meal did for them. There was also plenty of people that as they stepped out of their life to accept and follow Christ, many were put out of their family altogether. And so even the avenues to have meals might have been limited. And so it was natural for them to say, come, have a meal with us. And we see this over and over and over. It's friendship. It's a form of intimacy, of closeness. And this is happening, get this, across social lines. Any social lines you can think of, this is happening across those lines. And you may think, you know, what's, what's the big deal? But everything was so cast there. It's so set up that you basically kind of kept to your kind to go across socioeconomic lines, to go across any ethnic lines was a big, big deal in Jesus' day. And that's what the church was doing with these shared meals. And then the next one we get is they were devoted to their prayer. And this is an interesting one because it's an interesting word that's used. It's not the same word for prayer that's used at other places in the New Testament. Prosuhe is the word in Greek, and it means this, a place set apart to pray. It means they were committed to praying together and going to certain places. It most likely is describing that they were still going together to the temple at the established times of prayer throughout the day. They were committed to kind of the rituals of going together and praying as the temple had set up those prayer times. And they were doing that together. So yes, they were committed to prayer, but they were even committed to prayer in a certain setting, in a certain way as well. You could say they were committed to church. They valued church and what was happening of going together and worshiping through prayer together. And they did this daily, regularly, committed to it, devoted to it as we use the word, adhered to this. And this says they were united and shared everything. Listen, I told you before that many of these people were stepping out of the life they knew entirely when they became Christians. Like, I can't think of an equivalent because for many of you, when you became a Christian, it's not like you went home and your parents disowned you, right? Or your family kicked you out. 
uh, or society started to shun you because they weren't ready to accept this whole Christianity thing. Like we didn't experience that, most of us, when we became Christians. But that's exactly what they were experiencing, so many of them. And so some of them were displaced. Some of them didn't have their house anymore. I mean, some of them were put out of their families. Some of them had, had husbands that abandoned them. And on and on the list would go. And so here it says they were united and they shared everything. Because what, what happens? What happens when somebody's put out? Well, they don't have their living quarters. They don't have access to their meals or their stuff that they once had. And so the family has to come along and care for one another. One of the things I've enjoyed watching over this past year, even in the middle of the COVID year, is how Catherine Lau has kind of taken a point of caring for a gentleman in her neighborhood and rallying other believers that would say, hey, I will give of myself, my time, or my money, or, or whatever, or my stuff, to care for this person. That's kind of what we're talking about here. And that had to happen. In fact, if the church had decided that they weren't going to be known for this, I believe strongly the church would have gone nowhere in the book of Acts. This was so significant to care for people. Now, notice the word all there. Um, everyone or all in your translation. They're talking about the believers here. They're talking about the people who came to know Christ and they're caring for one another. Now, we'll find littered through the book of Acts, there are times when they are taking up collections and caring for anyone, anyone in need. But this is specifically talking about caring for the Christians, caring for the believers here. And that's so important because of the displacement. This past year, when we started to take up a COVID offering, honestly, my hope was maybe we'll get to 10,000. But you that have been with me 10 years, you know I always overshoot. <laughs> I always give you a goal, and it's like, ah, I don't know. And every once in a while, we've hit it, and sometimes we don't. And we specifically said we want to give to those in our church that have been affected by COVID in some way, jobs, finances, on and on. And you like you blew it out of the water. We went way past the 10,000 that was a, a probably an auspicious goal to begin with, way past that. And we've been able to help those people in our church. And somebody might come up and say, listen, why don't you help people out of the church? And we'd say we do often. In fact, it seems like I know from your perspective, often we are trying to help people outside the church, sometimes more than people here. This was a time we felt called by God to say, there are people right here who have been affected in deep ways, and we need to care for them. We need to make sure they're solid, healthy, so that they can continue doing the work of the kingdom. And that's what's happening here early in the book of Acts. They sold properties, they sold possessions. Uh, listen, this was not required. Nobody came in the door and they said, hey, if you want to be part of this Christian club, you need to start selling things. This was they did it as the need arose. So don't get worked up here that there, a new governmental system is being put in place and I'm freaking out. People always love to take certain passages to try to quote and back whatever economic system they prefer. That's not what they're doing here. They're basically saying as needs arose, we said, why would we not want to sell something to help? Why would I not want to help? And so they just sold a piece of land, and they gave the money so that that person would not be in need. In fact, the mentality or the thinking was, I could pick up a piece of land down the road. They need this right now. And that was 
commonplace. And they distributed as the proceeds needed. In fact, this was a, a growing job of the apostles in the church of Jerusalem. You'll see as we go on in the book of Acts, to collect and distribute was a growing job. You may think, well, you know, how long does that take? Well, a lot. The church is actually begins to start collecting all throughout was new churches being established. And in Jerusalem, they were distributing these collections to help those in need. And so that's why we find there's always this group, this church that remains in Jerusalem to be a part of that. We believe that's one of our jobs here at this church as we collect is to properly distribute to those who are in need. And then finally, we find added daily. Those who are being saved were added to daily. Listen, growth is a byproduct here. I've been in the church world for quite a while now. And if you ask me to create a very strong attractional model church that just attracted people and got them here, and then we'll figure out what to do, like, I, I understand that and know that. But at some point down the road in that system, at a previous church, at some point, I said, gosh, it's just, it's just not in my DNA to want to just attract. My desire is to offer Christ to build up, to train, to disciple. And what we find is the stuff that they're doing here is not done as an attractional model to try to just attract people into the church. A slick produced worship service, right? You know, the right kind of niche programs across the board. Their job and what they're doing here is they are loving and shepherding people. And they're discipling and helping people to do it themselves. Everything they were just devoted themselves to, they could go out and they could do it themselves. If God relocated them, they could go out and do this same kind of stuff together. So they're multiplying their faith. Growth then is a byproduct. It's a byproduct of doing these type of things. And that's the way we've chosen to land on here at the church, is growing you in these areas and challenging you over and over in these areas. Radical sharing, that's community. I've already shared with you today. I would love for us to raise up, church, much higher in this area of offering ourselves and inviting people into community in our lives. I'd like us to blow past being friendly and offer deep community, that koinonia. Radical caring, that's ministry. When we're willing to give of ourselves, our time, our energy, our money, our stuff, to help somebody or bless somebody. Here's a takeaway this morning. Do you need to analyze your devotion? Do you need to just analyze and sit back a second, analyze your proscar to reo? What am I devoted to? What do I adhere myself to? When it comes to my Christian walk, what is described as real devotion? I believe God could speak to your heart this morning and call you in some area. Convict your heart if you need. And then answer that conviction this morning. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the early church and just what the early church teaches us. And Father, I know that there's so many things on that list right there that would challenge our hearts. There's nothing that we do perfect. We're all challenged. And maybe in the end of our, our Christian growth, we'll still say we're not perfect at it. That's fine. 
But Lord, may we be about direction on each one of these. Not destination, direction. Keep moving forward. Keep focusing our heart in these areas. Committed to the community, to the teaching. Lord, committed to inviting others to share a meal with us. Open up our homes to offer of our time and stuff and money to others as they need. Lord, we remember to script out times of prayer that we would go and we would lift up prayer and even community-based prayer. And Lord, I believe that the byproduct of that is there will be people in our life that this will prompt and open the door that we will then be able to share Christ with them. They'll be ready, Lord. Their hearts will already be sitting there waiting to hear. And so lead us, Lord, in each of these areas, we pray. In your son's name, amen.